Welcome to Writing It, a podcast by Ed Adams. The Square, episode four, a novel by Ed Adams. Lambeth Walk. Robert Alton was standing by Lambeth Bridge as Mohammed and Douglas approached. Coffee? asked Robert Alton. Water, maybe, smiled Mohammed. Doug nodded. You too, Robert? I'll get them. Let's find a quiet spot. He walked towards the small coffee shop perched on the edge of a jetty by the Thames. It's odd. Even the television spy series use this stretch of the river, said Mohammed. I know, said Robert Alton. I think it's also because they can get the Houses of Parliament into the background. So why aren't there lots of microphones and surveillance cameras around here? Oh, there are, and not just ours. Even the juice bar over there is wired up. But we'll walk along the road over there in a minute. It's out of any practical range, and after all, we're only talking about the next all-department meeting. Doug returned with three bottles of water. OK, let's go. They turned from the walk alongside the Thames back into a busy main road. I wanted this to be away from normal recording because I think we may have a loose tongue somewhere inside the department, said Robert. I need people I can trust on this. He turned to face Doug and Mohammed. Look, Karen has been killed. It looks like she was run down on a package exchange mission. I've checked through her files. She's insulated the mission using a stringer to do the exchange. There's no name on the file. What was the mission about? asked Doug. It's linked to a threat we received about some terrorist movements in London and Frankfurt. The package that was being moved was linked in some way. I'm going upstairs to try and get more information. What was in the package? asked Mohammed. We don't know. We just know that it was supposed to be of a size that a single operative could collect and move in the back of a car. Could it have been a bomb? asked Mohammed. Bomb, money, drugs, we just don't know. The truck carrying the package was destroyed blown up by a missile from a helicopter. What? said Doug. This isn't in mission reports. All it said was something about Karen in a road traffic accident in Cairo. I know, said Alton. It's been given a cover story. It was all very messy. Karen was shot down in a cafe. Before that, the helicopter that destroyed the truck was blown up by a surface to air. The stringer guy running pickup has disappeared. It's a mess. The whole trail is dead. That's where you come in, said Alton. We need to get on top of this. Find the stringer. Bring him in. What about the people operating with Karen? asked Mohammed. She would have a team with her. She did, but it's no good, said Alton. After the shooting, they went into hiding. There were two of them. One's back in London now. The other one is still in Cairo. They're good people. The one in Cairo says there is a rumour that the helicopter was Israeli. Shit, said Doug. That would put the cat amongst the pigeons. Yes, and now we must seek a white dove of peace, continued Alton. This could already be a major incident if the word gets out that the Israelis were flying missions into Egypt. Not one for us, though, questioned Doug. Not directly, answered Alton, although if the UK involvement is discovered, it would change things. More importantly, as what this all means, a link back to the terror threat. I think Karen stumbled into something much bigger than we expected. And it does create a useful trail for us said Mohammed, if the Israelis were prepared to send an unauthorised gunship chopper into Egypt, then they must know something about the truck or its package. My thoughts too, said Alton. We will need a small team that can operate away from base for this. There seems to be a leak, and it seems to be cross-border too. 
if it's as sloppy as it appears, then the smugglers, terrorists, or whatever they are, know what's going on too. Robert Alton looked at Mohammed and Doug carefully. You know this needs total discretion. The situation is a Category 1 threat. Mohammed and Doug nodded. We'll go external, said Doug. It'll be easier if you can give us an, another cover investigation. That way we can be off-grid, but with a reason. Use something that won't involve too many other people. How about that gas-fracking security probe up north, suggested Alton. Perfect, said Doug. Miles of fields and hills to investigate, based upon a security rumour. I'll up at security level two, so that access to what is happening becomes more limited, said Alton. And Mohammed, your cover story is because we suspect parallels with something else that has happened in the Middle East. They had arrived in an area close to another busy South London traffic intersection. There's someone else I'm going to meet about this later this afternoon. Someone I shouldn't really be talking to. I'll let you know how I get on. We should split up here. Gentlemen, a pleasure, said Alton. Oh, and remember, only communicate to me in person on this and all meetings off-site. Two weeks earlier. Washington alert. When the first news of the terrorist plans reached the National Security Agency in Washington and GCHQ in the United Kingdom, they conducted a trawl to find senior-ranking experts who could interpret what was happening. They had called Robert Alton for this reason. He had also asked to involve Muhammad. There had been ripples of dissent from command office, but Robert was by now very senior and vouched for Muhammad's integrity. Mohammed had spent 10 years in loyal service, initially overseas in Turkey, but then since he was 26, spending time in the UK in some of the more sensitive control and command centres related to understanding Middle Eastern motives. Mohammed knew his way around now and at 28 years old was fit and self-confident. He'd shown unwavering support for Robert since they'd met and had been involved in exercises to expand the continents and countries around the Middle East. The news from GCHQ gave Karen and Mohammed a lot to work on. They had a sense that there was a serious attempt being made to do something on a large scale to cripple London and other UK centres. Why don't we announce something, asked Mohammed, already aware of the protocol. We can't, replied Karen. Two main reasons. It would create widespread panic, and this can create further problems of its own. And second, it is better that the terrorists don't know we are onto them as we close in. The plan was now to determine and triangulate the sources and reliability of the information about the plot. Mohammed would send out probes via the internet and through the cellular network to see if there was further information. Mohammed now also had a strong network, so he was sure that if there was news, he would stand a good chance to find it. Mohammed's problem with the briefing from Karen and Robert was that they had no idea what he was looking for. It was some kind of plot involving London, or maybe Frankfurt, and was terrorist-led by people from the Middle East. Next stop was GCHQ, Cheltenham, to see whether... There was any more concrete intelligence to help him in his task. Mohammed didn't have the top-level security clearance and needed someone who could help him with this part of the activity. Because of Mohammed's background, he was still regarded as an outsider by some parts of the British security fraternity, and so full clearance was all but impossible. He called Karen and asked for her help. She agreed, and together they called GCHQ to ask about other intercepts and links with other significant events. 
They were patched through to a Commander Simpson from GCHQ, who asked a series of detailed security clearance questions before he was preferred to proceed any further. They were on a top-secured line between their headquarters and GCHQ, and Karen had level 1 clearance. Commander Simpson was satisfied with this and relaxed as he prepared to answer questions. Here's what we have, he began. Some intercepts from Iran and Pakistan suggest that there was an increase of information flow related to the geography of parts of central London, around Parliament Square and Whitehall, and also around the western part of Frankfurt in the financial district. We've been tracing the calls, and some of the calls have been to call boxes in West London, mainly around Paddington area. Then we picked up satellite phone calls, also from West London, which seem to link to the same thing. We think there is a cell operating in London, and that they have acquired some nuclear or chemical or biological agents which they intend to use in an attack. For the last couple of weeks, we have been trying to identify if there has been any major theft or loss of material. That's when we discovered a cover-up that has been operating at CTL. CTL? Queried Karen? What's that? CTL is Chemical Testing Labs. It's part of Portland Down, continued Commander Simpson. They test new and specialised chemical and biological agents, whether UK, US or originated from other areas. Two weeks ago, a consignment of tubes containing a compound going by the name Krylo 37 was diverted en route to a testing suite and has not been recovered. It is believed to still be inside the complex, but has not been located. This is very irregular, and we are holding a full investigation. Crylon 37A is a neurotoxin agent for one of the deadliest nerve toxins identified. The test tubes are not normal glass ones. They are special titanium containers with injection capabilities. The antidote is to be used against a severe form of nerve agent. So, we have a terrorist alert and a mysterious disappearance of nerve agent antidote, both within a two-week time frame, queried Karen. This is rather a large coincidence. Precisely, said Commander Simpson. That's why we've alerted your organisation as well as a few other agencies, but we're still keeping this strictly confidential. We've not told press or public or even kept this from all except the Defence Secretary, Bernard Driscoll. It's the same intel with the US and Germany at the moment, and with Germany, they know about the terrorist alert, but not the nerve agent. We had to tell the Americans because the original nerve agent compound was American, and they would wonder what had happened to it. I know we are not supposed to make assumptions, said Karen, but it's too much of a coincidence. Is there any chance that the tubes will still be found inside the CTL? It's unlikely, replied Commander Simpson. The individual tubes have activated RFID within the facility, which means every cylinder can be pinpointed by radio waves or to within a few centimetres. Away from the facility, the RFID needs specialist equipment to track it because of its short range. The more dangerous compounds, like the actual nerve agents, also have an outer container which includes satellite tracking. They are set up as binary 2, which means that they have to be activated and mixed together by digital code before they become lethal. The tracker transmitter used in the container for the toxin tubes has to be switched on. It uses a composite technology, a radio transmission and a special circuit which makes it appear as an internet node similar to a website. This precaution means that it, like any other highly valuable cargo, could be traced without giving away that it was special. To start the signalling, a special code sequence is needed, which is a hardware address wired into the tracker. These gadgets are a fairly new technology and only used in two main areas, 
specialised weaponry and for extremely high-risk items such as nuclear and highly toxic chemical components that are on the move. The hardware address was kept under secure access control. You'll have to get the address codes from the Defence Secretary. Do you have a picture of one of the canisters and one of the antitubes? asked Karen. A screen flicked on in the room and a back projection appeared showing a couple of pictures. One looked like a bomb or a missile and the other a machined metallic cylinder with a complex top mechanism. Wow, said Mohammed. That's some cylinder and some test tube. Yes, said Commander Simpson. We don't want them to be breakable or for just anyone to be able to hack into what is massively secret payload. You were talking about these as if they were bombs, responded Karen. The nerve agent canisters are, replied Commander Simpson. A single canister diffused into the air could have a devastating effect upon a population of 50 to 100,000, depending on wind conditions. The effective life of the agent compound is around 24 hours, a so-called short spike, and that is why it's supposed to be such an effective but deadly compound. Normal troops can re-enter an area where it has been deployed soon after its use. But this is totally illegal and breaks every rule of warfare, said Karen. <coughs> Correct, replied Simpson. Unfortunately, it cannot be uninvented, and that is why it is being examined. To understand its weaknesses and to provide emergency procedures should it ever be deployed. The nerve agent canisters are truly weapons of mass destruction. And part of the reason it is being examined at Porton Down is to check the weapon's footprint and frailties. We need to be able to tell when it has been used, like the detection of the way that Saddam Hussein deployed chemicals. Is this after the fact? asked Karen. It kind of is, replied Simpson, but we have little choice in these troubled times, and failing to have any response whatsoever would be criticised just as heavily. So, we now have a lethal nerve toxin, probably in the hands of terrorists, and possible threats on London and Frankfurt, continued Karen, and enough toxin in circulation to damage all of the major population centres of the United Kingdom, added Commander Simpson although they seem to have stolen the antidote as well. Mohammed and Karen made their way to Rob Wilson's office to provide a full update. He listened to the news and realised they now had a dead end since the containers had gone invisible. Mohammed, do you think you will have enough to make some inquiries? Mohammed nodded. He was well connected. Since spending time in the United Kingdom, he'd learnt a lot and acted well. He had access to local mosque communities and through his attendance at varied group meetings he had a strong access to what was happening in the London area. He admitted to himself that there was no word about the current situation anywhere in the community. No one had talked about chemical plots or the arrival of any special activists from overseas. Mohammed would spend time searching for information and try to seed some rumours which could cause something to surface. He decided that an announcement about a suspected terrorist cell in central London would be a good way to shake some information from the trees. He knew a few contacts where the word could be put out and would create a desired amount of gossip. I'm on to it, said Mohammed as he walked towards the door of the room.